This is Onward Radio. Dealing with social issues, it, there's a lot of work that can, needs to be done to create the major change, but there's often a lot of low-hanging fruit that can be implemented right away um, and, um, and build trust and build capacities to get to that larger change. And so there was a good portion of our presentation where we kind of just were like boom, boom, boom on the, the low-hanging fruit. And so I, and then and also presenting the stories of the traders and connecting that to the low-hanging fruit. And so I think that was something that they really appreciated and that that was given a voice. Today on Onward, we're joined by Liz Ogbu via Skype from Berkeley, California. Liz is a designer, urbanist, and social innovator. She tackles wicked social problems through creative transformations of places, systems, and communities. She runs her own multidisciplinary design and consulting practice called Studio O, and is on faculty at UC Berkeley in Stanford's D School. Liz previously was the inaugural scholar in residence at the California College of Arts, and served as part of the first class of Innovators in Residence at IDO.org. You can learn more about Liz at LizOgbu.com. Well, Liz, welcome to Onward Radio. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I've been following you here on uh, Twitter and over some email exchanges, and it seems like you've been doing a lot of travel of late. Uh, wh- where have you been and what have you been up to? Well, I, I just came back from two really quick trips. Uh, most recently, I was at the University of Michigan as their Wallenberg Studio Lecture. My uh, alma mater, wow. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> this is, a, this is a, a studio that they have every spring for um, rising seniors, uh, graduating seniors, I should say. And uh, it, it deals a lot with this idea of kind of social impact and talking about architecture and its ability to kind of make a difference in the in in the world and so as part of that they bring someone to whose work reflects those kinds of values to uh, give a lecture and so I was it this year so that was my most recent trip thank you Um, and then right before that last week I was um, at the Harvard Graduate School of Design um, an interesting um, collection of the African-American Student Union, the Joint Center for Housing, the Loeb Fellowship, and then also the um, so GSD administration convened a panel and a forum to talk about race and the built environment. That was kind of a follow-up from a town hall that had been convened in December around some of the things that we've been seeing in the news around Ferguson and Eric Garner, et cetera. And so um, this brought together uh, a group of us who had uh, attended the GSD and think about these kinds of issues as a core part of our work to present um, ways to start to think about it and how, um, and, and basically be a springboard for a conversation about how we can talk about the work that you're doing in that school actually starting to make an impact and, and, and think about these in a broader way. When we first met, uh, when I contacted you about being on the program, you were um, on your way to South Africa. And yeah. we, didn't give a, we didn't get a lot of time there to, to talk about what that trip was about, but 
What did you do there and how long were you there? Uh, I was there for, I think it was about nine or 10 days. And I went as part of um, the Urban Land Institute has an advisory services panel um, that they've had for a number of years and possibly decades, uh, where they convene a group of their membership or allied um, professionals to uh, come together for a couple of days and uh, be in a city. The city usually has some sort of issue around real estate, land development, urban economics, et cetera, that they're trying to negotiate. And so basically you get access to this group of experts who for several days will noodle on your problem, interview a lot of the stakeholders, and come up with some recommendations. And so this was part of a new partnership that's being explored with the World Bank um, who's looking to um, move from just not um, kind of the more investment side of things, which I think is often how we think of the World Bank. Yeah, but totally. Also, um, uh, uh, Jim Kim, talk, the head of the World Bank, talks about this idea of the World Bank as a knowledge bank as well, that their ability to be in a lot of places around the world um, and participate in a lot of different projects has actually given them an immense amount of expertise and that this... In, turn could be something that could be given to different countries that may not have that expertise, but could use it to be able to move forward. So um, this uh, in South Africa, the, the national treasury is starting to look at the fact that given all the challenges they have in terms of housing, employment, transportation, health, that it is going to be really challenging for the national government to itself meet all the needs and that some of this will fall onto the state and municipal governments, but that they may not have the depth of expertise to be able to noodle through these problems. Um, and so uh, as part of this pilot, the World Bank had sort of um, selected, I think it's like four to five cities um, where ULI would bring experts to um, to look at whatever problem the city had pushed up as the one that they wanted examined. So in this case, we were in Durban, which is on the eastern coast of the country. And actually, I lived there um, many years ago for oh, several really? months. Yeah, as it part was, of it was like going home for you then for a little bit. It was, and I, the project we happen—I mean, you know—such a small world. The project we happen to look at is one that I've, you know, studied for about fifteen years and have written a couple articles <laughs> about. Um, so, you know, on the team, I was kind of the one who had sort of the particular depth of expertise around South Africa because I've looked a lot at issues of apartheid and post-apartheid space and informal economies. Um, and so, we were looking at a major transportation node in Durban that also happens to be kind of the heart of the informal sector in the city. Um, and there are plans for a new bus rapid transit um, system coming through, which would let out in this place. And they're also wanting to rebuild the train station and trying to, and there was this controversy um, right around the World Cup about potentially building a mall all there. So there was a lot of issues going on. Wow. And so we basically spent a week on the ground trying to wrap our heads around it. Um, and in particular, kind of uniting some of the different stakeholders in the different perspectives and hopefully bringing them to the table in a way that I think, um, you know, asking the city and the government, national government as well, to look beyond the black and white of, um, you know, it's this against that, but more at the nuances and, you know, in particular, looking at folks like the informal traders as people who actually really want a lot of this that the, the sort of government wants, but are also feeling that they're, um, you know, that 
that poverty is looked down on, that the trading is looked down on as, as something dirty. Um, and so bringing some value to it, I think, is one of the things that we were able to do and help people see that actually they're pretty entrepreneurial. Um, were, you in, were you invited there because of you're an academic or because of the, the studio O that you run? Uh, I think it was a combination. Like, uh, uh, I think uh, I had been suggested to them because of my my work through Studio in terms of looking at design and social impact and how uni- united. And because there was such a big connection with this informal population, uh, there was a sense that that would be a, a fundamental underpinning of the project. And then the, the academically, the fact that I've done so much research in South Africa and around in the informal sector, I think, was also seen. So basically, both sides of my head were kind of seen as valuable. <laughs> that's good to know. That's good. To, that's good, probably a, a nice compliment, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, how was it? Was it successful? Do you feel it was a a good event and you know, progress was made? Yeah, I mean, I think we were able to pull um, a lot of interesting recommendations. The woman from the who represented the National Treasury was very supportive of the things that we had come up with. And, you know, for me also, um, what was really nice is we had a, a final presentation to the city, but we, you know, it's supposed to be public. And so we also made sure to invite the traders and the taxi drivers, <laughs> um, uh, which, you know, who knows if any of them had been in the city council chambers before. They're and all so- affected by stuff that happens, though. So it's Exactly. Important. Yeah. Exactly. And several of them came up to us afterwards and they were just so pleased because we really a lot of you know our presentation talked about the big things that can be done which may take some time to pull together but we also you know and I like to do this for every project because sometimes dealing with social issues it there's a lot of work that can needs to be done to create the major change but there's often a lot of low-hanging fruit that can be implemented right away um, and um, and build trust and build capacities to get to that larger change. And so there was a good portion of our presentation where we kind of just were like boom, boom, boom on the the low hanging fruit. And so right. I, and then and also presenting the stories of the traders and connecting that to the low hanging fruit. And so I think that was something that they really appreciated and that that was given a voice, um, which for me is because I work so much with like. Um, underserved communities or communities in need, they are the type, they are the ones who generally don't have a lot of power within our political systems. Um, And yet I've got tremendous amount of power because usually someone from an institutional standpoint is either um, paying for me or is willing to listen to me uh, Mm -hmm. because of the like sort of stature role I have in a project. Knowledge is power, right? Yeah, exactly. So I can bring these voices and be a conduit for these voices in these institutions or yeah. places of power. Well, I watched your TEDx talk, and it, this what you're talking about right now really delves into a question I really want to ask you about uh, how you describe yourself. You know, you're an architect uh, trained to design buildings at Harvard. Uh, you were trained at Harvard, sorry. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you can, I guess you could design buildings at Harvard as well, but, yeah. but you decide to design um, what you say is opportunities for impact. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Well, I feel that it, it means that you have to look at what is the larger mission of, the, of, of, of a project. So generally, because of the work that I do, the larger mission of a project is not to 
design, uh, um, you know, a, a community hub. The larger mission is to actually help people in this community have a greater capacity to stay in a, a you know a gentrifying neighborhood or something like that, or to improve health outcomes. And so, if that's the case, like that does not get solved by just a building. Um, the building is part of a systemic approach to driving change. And so if you set forth, you know, designers are problem solvers. And so if we set forth the problem that we need to solve is the building and how well that building performs, then we really limit the ability to make any sort of larger impact. But if we set the problem to improve health outcomes in this community, then it broadens up the design space and means that we have to look not just at, at, at the building, um, but look at the programs going into the building or how people move around the buildings or what are the other um, elements that we need to bring together as part of this project. And that could mean experts that get brought to the table. Right. So a lot of my projects are, you know, it's not just me, the designer, working with other designers and maybe an engineer and a landscaper. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's me working with public health experts and policy wonks and, um, you know, health educators and, you know, whoever is required for the, whoever's knowledge is required to be brought to the table for a project to actually succeed. And so that often means that there's a lot of stuff that actually get designed, not just the physical um, properties. That's really well said. And and you can say the same thing, just move the word buildings out and put product, or you can put any sort of design artifact in there in that, you know, this whole system of how it works and who uses it is, is much more complicated than, just the object itself and to make it a much more sustainable um, just product and and sense of community in terms of people who use it you need to think about these larger issues outside of it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally so when was the moment i mean you were trained at you know in a more standard we're going to build buildings Uh, when was the moment that you sort of changed your focus or realized that um, it was much more than the building I think I've probably always had that uh, perception. <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up in a family of, of social scientists, but I was the weird child he drew. Oh. Um, and then I, I went to Wellesley for my undergrad and actually thought I was going to do engineering because they have this amazing program with MIT. And uh, then realized, actually, I didn't like engineering <laughs> once I started taking the classes, but took an architecture class and was in love. Uh, and uh, a wonderful gift at the program at Wellesley, which, you know, I did not come to appreciate so much later is that there actually isn't an architecture department at the school. And so the major there is an interdepartmental major, but it, I call it a sort of choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? I grew novels? up reading those books when I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm realizing now that I can't use that analogy with younger no, folks. No, no, no. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, um, which is probably dating myself. But anyway, um, what was great is that there are sort of three basic required courses um, in drawing and art history. And then beyond that, you could basically design the major. So if you wanted to do architecture studios at MIT, you could do that. And I did do some of that. But I could also petition for urban economics and urban sociology to be part of the the major and so for me that was great because it was a way to sort of start to unite 
you know, growing up and hearing about all of these, these challenges and the ways that my parents were thinking about the stuff that they were doing and knowing that that came to play, um, like with the building aspect that I was learning to do was super, super important to me. And then, uh, after I finished Wellesley, I had a fellowship, uh, called the Watson fellowship, which allowed me to go and spend a year traveling and living in sub-Saharan Africa. And, uh, when I was there, you know, there, there are architects there, but there are architects in many of the countries, and it's changed a little bit now, um, but at the time, in the late 90s, a lot of the architects were engaged, like most of the clients were um, either expats or the government or multinational corporations or, or the wealthy, and the vast majority of people were kind of doing it on their own, like they weren't dealing with architects. Um, and so I really became, but the, because there were so many people that fall into that other category, right. um, you know, the spaces of the city were really being defined by them, not by the profession. And so I became really fascinated by that and wanted to understand those spaces. Cause in some cases they actually worked better than some of the stuff that I was seeing the architects do. <laughs> um, and then also, but yet not to sort of glorify or fetishize them there were also some very real challenges with them and so I became really curious about how do you unite that gap and realize that my education in terms of dealing with the economics and and the the social structures came to play there because that actually influenced a lot of the pattern of development so by the time I got to Harvard I think I was interested in Harvard less because at the time it definitely wasn't a you know, all about the people type of place. Um, I was a little bit of an anomaly there. Uh, but I, I sort of realized that by that time that I wanted to do something that was probably going to be considered somewhat strange in architecture and that Harvard, you know, as we say, it's the H-bomb. So like that can open up doors and it, it's true. Like people think I went there so I know what I'm talking about. I do in most cases. Well, you do, but, I think. You know, yeah, definitely. If, if you access to, um, you know, a whole wide range of people and opportunities that I was super interested in and believed could be leveraged towards this type of type of work. And I think the interesting thing of the, the sort of race and built environment panel last week is to see that stuff has kind of come full circle, that now it, it's getting harder and harder to avoid negotiating these issues. Um, and people who are our clients or who live in the spaces that we create are are kind of hungry for something that addresses that. And so I think this thing that I was doing that was, you know, maybe strange in the beginning, I think is as time goes on, um, the impetus for the work is getting stronger. And I see more people entering into this space to try and, and figure it out well, that's, for themselves. That's positive news for sure. Um, do, you, do you have any specific areas? You mentioned race, the environment and health. Do you have any specific areas that interest you most when you're trying to make um, some sort of impact. Uh, I I I think I call myself somewhat agnostic in terms <laughs> of. I'm really just about making a social impact, and so that just means that like there is always going to be a range of different issues that affect that, um, and it's always pretty contextual to the to the communities I'm dealing well, with. I well, they're all connected. They're all connected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not any of them exist in a silo. I will say that I tend to see more projects lately in the kind of health and economic development space. But I, I think that has more to do with sort of in terms of um, funders, whether it's companies, nonprofits or governments, it's kind of where people are putting a lot of 
energy now in. And so uh, that's sort of driving the work, but you end up on any given project, it may be about X, but you, as we you know, just said, they're not, they don't exist in silos. So you end up touching upon a lot of different stuff. Well, you mentioned that there are more and more people seemingly interested in design for social impact. Um, can you give any advice about um, working with, uh, within a community or, or, or a culture different to yours? Um, best practices maybe? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's funny that I just, uh, when I'm coming up with the stuff for the panel at Harvard last week, kind of <laughs> we had to think about exactly this. Um, well, then you know, you're, I, you're I, more than ready then, I can tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I said that for me, first and foremost, the important thing is to remove the distance. I think that, uh, and I talk a little bit about this in the TED Talk as well, this idea of um, renegotiating what expertise is. Uh, I think that oftentimes when we go in as designers, we have a tendency to want to fix things like use our skills and fix it um, and use our expertise. And I think that um, that's great. We do bring that to the table, but I think it's really hard to make a connection with these communities and you need to make a connection in order to make a difference. Um, if you don't remove the sort of bubble around you as the expert uh, and tap into your own human emotions and your humanity, because what will relate to these, these all of these issues, you know, they're, they're irrational to a certain degree um, in the sense that they're really connected to human emotions. And um, it means negotiating them and addressing them actually relies more on your humanity than your technical prowess. Right. Um, and so I think I always tell people, you know, bring yourselves to the table and, uh, you know, idea.org, we used to say practice humble expertise. Um, so that's a combination of understanding. You don't know everything. You need to learn from the experts of these communities, but you need to approach them as a person, not as a designer. Uh, and the designer part will come. Does it, help, uh, does, it, and the, does it help if you're already part of that community? I think it does help if you're already part of that community. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are interested in this kind of work. Like, I, you know, there, there are folks who are like me who end up doing projects in lots of different communities. And then there are folks who really just want to do this in their own community. And I think it helps. But I think it's also just be cognizant of what your experience does to shape your life. Um, you know, I'm working on a project now in Baby Hunters Point in San Francisco. I live in Oakland, which is across the bay. I grew up in Oakland. Um, I'm African-American. A lot of people in this community that um, we're dealing with are African-American as well. But just because we share that and share some proximity doesn't mean that I totally know their issues. There's so much that's different that's about many of them than I do. And so when I go in, I also have to be cognizant of, like, I... You know, even if I share some similarities with them, I still bring assumptions, baggage, my own experience. And so I try to make sure that I'm always being super conscious of that um, and always making sure that that is not um, coloring the way in which I, I present things to them or that I engage them, which I think is super important. It's a sense of trust, right? They, they, they need to trust you. Need to know that you are doing this um, to make things better, not necessarily for your own gain. Right, and 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 that you're authentic, that you're being authentic. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah. 
So I talk a lot about authenticity and I talk about listening with intention. Do you mention Harvard um, at that point? But, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really That'd be authentic, thing. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I try and refrain from dropping the H bomb <laughs> situation where it's not required. But you know, I will say the interesting thing that I find and you know, for me it's always very interesting being a person of color engaging in these environments and 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 straddling these worlds between the communities I deal with and the sort of more rarefied circles that I have the privilege to be able to travel in sometimes. And um, you know, for for Folks in, in some of these situations, the fact that I went to Harvard is actually also can be actually a boon because, um, you know, I'm a representation of someone like a successful person of color um, and I'm there doing this work and I'm willing to also go out and, and speak for them or help their voices come up to the, to the forefront. And um, I find that people actually really value that, particularly because I don't wear it on my sleeve as a like. Well, I'm a Harvard. You're not wearing a Harvard T-shirt. You're wearing <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, exactly. Like I, 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 I have that pedigree, um, but I am still. I'm not not letting that pedigree totally define me. I'm still being quite authentic and, and there, and I'm relating to them as we are equals in this process of creating sure, change. Sure. Well, even Harvard aside, being, yeah. being highly educated and coming into maybe a community that's not so highly educated. Um, I live in a college town, and, and when, when I work with people in the community, there's a phrase called like the, the town and the gowns, and gowns mean, mm-hmm. you know, you know the... Mm-hmm cap and gown from graduation. So there's this little bit of like disconnect and sometimes distrust that if you're an academic going into this community project, are you just doing research or are you here really to, to be a part of the solution? And, you know, you know, so Harvard aside, I think it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the sort of, um, maybe it is economic and um, definitely educational chasm sometimes. Yeah. But I also feel like those are precisely the occasions of how do you um, empower the town side, if you will, um, about their expertise? Because they actually know a lot of stuff that are different than the type of expertise you're getting on the gown side. Right. And so, um, but rarely have they been empowered to think of that knowledge as expertise. And so it's part of it is how do you help them bring that to the table? And how do you make sure that other folks who are sort of maybe your your colleagues on your side of the fence are also able to recognize that um, that knowledge is expertise. Are there, are there tools that you use? I mean, obviously listening is, is the biggest tool, but are there other sort of tools that you use to sort of um, really hear that community and then apply what they know to the process? Uh, I think the, the listening is perhaps the most important. I do a lot of interviews as part of my projects um, and, you know, long interviews, like hour-long interviews, uh, and then synthesize that data uh, and use kind of my design skills, whether it's, um, you know, graphically presenting the stuff so that uh, it, the pre- presenting the extrapolated data so that it's really clear what the expertise is within what these people said. Uh, or sometimes, uh, for instance, in the, the San Francisco project I mentioned earlier, we've uh, heard a lot in early on in our interviews that people felt that the, the stories of the community were being lost uh, because with sort of gentrification and people moving out, uh, that um, people weren't going to know what happened there. And so 
we decided to actually um, team up with StoryCorps, which had a, has a local booth in San Francisco, but also has a community program where they're willing to do recordings out in the community, um, particularly for groups that have been underrepresented for coming into the booth. Um, so we built a, a booth on our site and uh, we started doing StoryCorps recordings, which has been tremendously successful. And we used that first instantiation of being on site to then also do a lot of other events and activities that related to things that we heard. So we heard a lot of interest in doing stuff with youth. And so we did a number of arts workshops with kids. Uh, we heard about, but nothing fun ever happens in the community, um, nothing joyous or big. So we brought a circus to the site. Wow. Uh, and so all of these things are kind of, you know, basically we listened we took that data and then we basically figured out events or activities that we could do along the way. So that, and all of it, it's a much comp more complicated thing of how that's all getting extrapolated into the, sure. the actual design and the hub. But, you know, just that little sort of, I call it a little bit of a, a call and response. Um, but the response as designers, we have an ability for that response to take sort of physical form. Um, and I think that's one of the assets of where design can come to play. Well, you mentioned kids and you teach. Um, what, what kind of projects do you assign in your classroom? You teach at uh, Stanford D School and you teach at Cal Berkeley, right? Right. Uh, it depends on sort of what the theme of the course is. So every, uh, I've had everything from uh, looking at um, governance and building better relationships between communities and governmental institutions in Sierra Leone to wow. working in a sort of burgeoning arts district in Oakland and trying to figure out how to stitch together the older residents, the arts, and the kind of newer middle-class uh, presence that was coming into the neighborhood. And so it, it, it really takes lots of different forms. Uh, and I think is really teaching students how to engage really complicated problems, uh, but to do so through acts of design and how to, going back to you know, what I said earlier about how to listen to people mm -hmm. and how to listen with intention and how to take what you're hearing and plug it authentically into a design project. Well, what would you like to do next? You seem to be doing so many things. Uh, do you have any sort of things that um, you haven't accomplished? Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> accomplished. I think if I actually thought through all of that, it would be more daunting than that. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that I, I just want to continue to do the work that I'm doing. It's a really exciting point right now in the um, design for social impact movement. There's a lot more of us who are operating, uh, which is awesome to see our ranks building. I'm seeing a lot more inquiries coming from mainstream design practices to try and understand this and see what elements they can weave into their work, uh, which for me is great. I would love that, uh, um, you know, the work, this work is not kind of seen as a other or alternative, but is actually seen just as design right. uh, and, and, and the natural things. And so slowly but surely I'm, I'm seeing that happen. And I think, you know, part of that is, continuing to spearhead, you know, the more complicated conversations and, and creating safe spaces where we can think about these, these issues and, and move forward. So I think for me, the, 
the big things that I would like to do in the future is just continuing to advance that in yeah. sort of all different venues that I'm engaged That's in. That's really the point of this whole podcast is to, is to help with that happen. And hopefully um, the folks that are listening, um, you know, will, will join the, if they're not already on board, join the, join the train forward. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're running really close to time and I wanted to hear from you on terms of uh, who you thought should be on this show. Oh, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> there, there are see. so many people that I'd like to have on, and um, hearing about your network is is um, maybe one that can um, bring this group closer together. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of um, doing some interesting stuff on the education front, the um, the folks over at the uh, Masters of Social Design program at Maryland Institute College of Art are doing some really cool things and I think it would be awesome to integrate them uh, I think there's some very interesting stuff that's happening um, in New Orleans that's like kind of an interesting transition from no longer talking about um, you know post Katrina but like just like what does it mean mm. to be in this city with all of these conditions and so there's there's a number of different people involved with that everything from the folks um, at Tulane uh, both with the Tulane City Center and then also they're opening up a new social innovation center. It's going to be allied with the architecture school uh, to folks uh, like, you know, Jeff Hebert is the head of the redevelopment agency um, to, uh, gosh, now morning (laughs) coffee is totally showing right now. Well, I think that gives me a really good group of people to look into. And, um, you know, I sincerely thank you for being on our, on the show. And um, it was really nice talking to you today. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun experience. And so um, I hope you continue to do the good work. Thanks. This episode is sponsored by a generous donation from Celery Design. Celery believes good design is a powerful force. They aim to make it a force for good by building strong brands for sustainable products, services, and programs. You can learn more about Celery at CeleryDesign.com.